Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastermatrix.com. That's podcastermatrix.com. My name is Wade Bielsen. I'm the Sage of St. Louis. I've been driving a cab in the city for over 20 years. I've had over 80,000 conversations in the dark just looking for answers, mostly on how to fix the problems of the world. It's given me a very unique way of looking at the world and a different sense of its problems, a Wade sense, if you will. These are cab driver solutions, conceived in an environment free of political correctness and irrational fear. This is Wade Sense, the podcast. Come join us. So I'm driving downtown last night, and I am on my way to the bus station to pick up somebody. And it's it's weird. I don't have a location where I'm going, which usually makes me kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. In this instance, I pull up. This young lady comes out. And you get an inkling about people when you're dealing with them. Something about this person, I've, I've seen enough heroin addicts or people that are trying to come off of it. There's just like a lack of a glow. It's like someone just turned down all of the color in their life and it just shows in their face. Mm. All right. So I'm talking to this person. They've been desaturated. Desaturated? How about that? Desaturated? Okay. Desaturation inside of computer and art circles is when you remove the color of things. Oh, okay. All right. That's So a desaturated photo. Okay. Might look like a, it's not quite a black and white photo, but it's all diffused and muted. Anyway, this person, like I said, I, I got an inkling that there was something about them. It's really sad. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to this person, and it turns out that I'm taking her to a uh, way out of the way rehab center. Mm-hmm. We're talking, and it just it starts to occur to me. It's like, how would I apply a, a, a Wade Sense cure to this? What what would work? I had just recently. Because she was coming from L.A., so I guess that's how the two pieces start to come together. And I had just recently saw a, and I know I talked to you about this, mm-hmm. about the uh, the Swiss cure on how they beat their opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. And I just started thinking, what if you could apply one to the other? L.A. is, is just this this horrible mess. It's, it's It was one of our greatest cities, and, and now it, it, along with San Francisco and some other cities on the West Coast, are, are just turning into well i'm sorry they're they are they're turning into shitholes it's sad but i started thinking what if you could apply using like like almost like a test bed method so you take uh, the swiss method and you apply that to la yet at the same time you do a method of um and and these these words kept swirling around my head and basically I, i call it the control clean and cure method to fix la there were a couple sources that I found for this. One was an interview that I saw on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, mm-hmm. which we always refer back to. Sure. The uh, other one was an article that I read, and it, basically what it was this. In 1994, the Swiss had had a problem that had come to a head. They had a horrible public addiction problem. They'd so given up, they took a park that they ended up, the locals started calling Needle Park because it was a cop-free drug zone where people could come and do deals and shoot up. It, it was just, it was a nightmare. The Swiss had gotten this really, really bad problem. 
there was a lady that came along by the name of Ruth Dreyfus that had a really novel solution. And she said, I know what I'm proposing sounds really unorthodox and like it's going to lead to a disaster and chaos, but this is where we already are. I propose that we do this, that we offer our addicts free heroin, only it's in a controlled environment. And yet at the same time, what we also do is we offer all the counseling that they need. We help them get better and we stop trying to fight the drug problem at the same time. It ended up saving a tremendous amount of money and people were now no longer uh, shooting up in public. There was there, In this program, there was not one person that died of an overdose because you could get as much heroin as you wanted. And it was it was government-grade pure heroin, so there was no impurities, anything that was then going up killing people. They would come in, they would get their drugs, they would inject them, and then they would leave and go about their their ways. And instead of them being the addict where they were now on the, where they had, would have been on the street and com- committing crimes to get the money to pay for their drugs or stealing from people or whatever, or street prostitution, that all stopped. They stopped having people shooting up in public and ODing in public. And basically what happened is these, these addicts turned into functional addicts. They would get their drugs and then they would go back to work and maybe they'd come back a couple times during the day. But what ended up happening is street prostitution stopped almost completely. House break-ins, again, stopped just about completely. Their crime problem, their public addiction problem, their public ODing problem, it all just stopped to the point where that the Swiss came back after the program had been in existence in five years. And these people are an extremely, extremely conservative group, very, mm-hmm. very pragmatic. Right. They came back after five years and said, well, do we still want the program or not? 70% of the Swiss said yes, absolutely. Hmm. So it worked for them. But it was, it's a completely different idea than how America and a lot of other countries in the world handle it, which is uh, we're going to shame you, we're going to incarcerate you, we're going to give you a record and basically wreck your life and also stop it so that you can't get any of the legal narcotics because you've now shown that you are an addict. And, uh, well, by law, we can't give you any more of the actual legal pharmaceuticals. So, yeah, I guess you're going to end up getting on the, the street drugs yourself. Swiss tried a different cure. It worked. I say that to say this. One of the biggest problems that L.A. has right now is they've got a huge homeless problem, and a lot of it is because of uh, addicts just living on the street. And my idea was this. I thought, what if we use the control, clean, and cure method? Mm-hmm. We bring in the military to control crowd mm-hmm. so that it doesn't end up turning into a wild riot. They're just there for backup, then also we use them to uh, build a, a big camp or we convert a, a big apartment building or something so that we can get the homeless off of the street mm-hmm. and start getting them involved in the, the Swiss cure, mm-hmm. start getting them the treatment that they need, but they're all completely off the street. Okay. Now, my idea is, is that we triage the group. The first thing you do is there's a big, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a large percentage of people that are on the street in LA right now because they just could not afford to live anyplace. The rent jacked up so high, they ended up on the street. That's that's going to be the first group that you talk to. And basically what you do is you offer them the chance to help clean up the city. And in exchange for that, they'll get some kind of a living wage and a place to live in one of these temporary camps. The second group that you talk to is the, as best you can, the uh, mentally insane. And you get them the help that they need and get them into the psych wards and off the street where they should have been all along to begin with. You've dealt with those two groups now. The, the remaining group 
are the addicts. And I'm sorry, at this point, I, I don't see a solution other than basically get them off the street by force into these temporary camps and just start ascertaining what the problem is and just let them know, know in certain terms. This is done. This living on the street and causing chaos for everybody is no longer going to be accepted. You're, you're either getting rode out of town mm-hmm. or you're going. we're going to help you get the help that you need, even though you're not wanting it. And I know all of this sounds really draconian, totalitarian, because the other idea that I had to control the group, or not really control, but to know who's there and who who's supposed to be part of the program, is everybody gets temporary armbands mm-hmm. so that you know who is part of the program. These sure. are all come off. Everybody comes out of the camps. Nobody is anywhere permanently like this. It's just the idea of getting everybody the hell off the street so that you can now clean the city. And then you start to cure people of their problems. And we use L.A. as a test bed. Now, what do you think of the, of the idea? Well, I love the idea that you'd be cleaning up the streets eventually. I mean, I, I love that piece. Okay. Uh, the rest of it, I, I, I have a few questions. Poke away, Master Hole Poker. So the first question I have is, how do we determine these groups that you're referring to? It sounds like it, it, this is, a, 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 I won't say a common problem, but a common missing piece of okay. the puzzle. That somewhere, somehow, somebody has to evaluate the horde. Mm-hmm. So we need to also just pick a number. How many people initially do you think that this would impact initially? A hundred? Ten thousand? There's about... Five thousand? The estimate is that there's about 60,000 homeless people in L.A. right now. Okay, and so of those, what are we going to use as a test bed to run this program? Everybody that's on the street right now. Okay, so six, let's say 60,000 people. Right. All right, so the... Essentially, the standing room only filled stadium that is the Kansas City Chiefs football stadium. Okay. So for those of you that can Google right now, go to go to go to Google and type in <laughs> KC Chiefs Stadium. And there you have it. Okay. Everybody that would be in there, whether they're sitting down or standing in the stands. Yeah, it's ten thousand plus more my, than my hometown in Grand Forks, North Dakota, too. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Right, but we're talking in one spot. Right. Okay. For how long is this program you're assuming? How long is it going to take? Yeah. I think that if you did a concentrated effort that you could solve the problem in a year. Okay. So those 60,000 people in some kind of massive apartment complex that's just going to be taken over. Massive apartment complex are probably more likely uh, uh, like a camp set up outside of the city. A camp. Yeah. Okay. All right. A camp. So a camp set up outside the city. Right. Sixty thousand people. What what kind of space do you think that would take? With because when we look at the stadium in Kansas City, the benefit there is that there are you know stair steps and chairs. Right. Right. And there is maybe like, it's maybe it's some combination thereof. Maybe it's a, it taking advantage of a, a building that's that's uh, not in use. I, I I don't know. All I know is that they're now off of the street. The street is being cleaned up. And I know what you're talking about as far as cost, but let's try and ascertain the costs that are already that are being that, that are costing the city of L.A. right now and right. dealing with I, the homeless issue. Remember like, the I mean, like the, keep in mind, the, the, the idiot running California has decided, or maybe it was the mayor running uh, uh, L.A. have decided that probably one of the best things to do is to just not go after people committing petty larceny. So people are now going into stores and, and just taking just taking stuff yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I've I've read some of that. The, the the gist though is you really do need to get into costs because the money to do all of your kick-ass programmery mm-hmm. has to be paid for by something somehow. Right. 
And it's funny that we're talking about California because if costs and spending was out of control anywhere in the United States. Oh, it's there. Well, it's definitively, and it's been there. Right. Probably decades. Okay. But all they're doing now is just taxing the hell out of the people and throwing money into a bottomless hole. At least what I'm talking about gets people off of the street. It gets L.A. back to doing business. So that's going to be money that's back in the coffers. uh, We're going to get to that. The the bottom line, though, is that money's got to come from somewhere to not only buy an area, uh-huh. okay, need to make the area habitable for 60,000 people for a year. Well, no, no, wait a minute. Hang on a sec, Mike. <clears throat> Remember what I told you about? We've already triaged the groups. One, the, the, I'm the, getting the, to the triage. We haven't even gotten to the triage yet. Well, th- what I'm saying is you're not going to have all 60,000 people in th- these camps or buildings or, or whatever. The mentally insane are going off to the, 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 the psych okay, wars well, and the health that they need. Okay, so let, let's step forward then a little bit. Or okay. backwards, I guess. Because you're saying somehow without gathering them together, we're still going to be able to segregate them. Okay. All right. So let's No, do you do way. gather them together. You use the military, like I said, as as, as crowd control. Or maybe you, you use the police. I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm throwing out ideas. Sure. But I, the first thing that you do is wait, hold sit, on, hold block on. by block the, by block. The, sure. Block by block. Cordon. Okay. I get it. Right. That's fine. Where are we going to put 60,000 people on one layer of land? I don't know. I, I'd I, have to look at the. I'd have to look okay, at a map I, of LA County. I, I think that's what you're missing. Is when I talk about the stadium. You've been inside of a football stadium. Yeah. Right? Okay, and you know how how sloped it is. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Well, when it's not sloped and people are living in space for a year, mm-hmm. you can't take only the footprint of a football stadium, and that's where the people will be for a year. Okay. So what if you did uh, a smaller group? Say you went and and well, tried to, and it would need to be smaller it. groups. So yeah. let's talk about small groups for a minute. Okay. So smaller groups, how and whom is going to be the people that go and meet with these people and then judge what category they're in? Who who are those people? That would be some type of specially trained government and or military uh, worker. Okay. Okay. They're probably people with um, some type of rehabilitation workers. Okay. Who do you think it would be? Well, see, I don't know. Obviously, you want to have a gauge of either a series of interview questions that you literally ask people because asking these people to sit down with a piece of paper and a Scantron sheet, I don't think that's reasonable. No, probably not they, for a lot of them. It, it, and it's not because they can't read. It's because they just don't want to do it. But if you go in and group by group by group and you're, and you're standing there and, and you're just like announcing on a bullhorn or whatever, talking to people, it's like, okay, this is to what is happening. To which of the 60,000 people are we talking to on a bullhorn? We're talking to group by group by group by group. We're not talking to all 60,000 at once. Okay. You, there's no way that you could do this just mass at once. Right. So the first thing that you do is there would be a campaign letting people know what's coming mm-hmm. and that they can uh, voluntarily uh, be a part of the program. And like I said, that's why it's probably going to take about a year their, to do it at least. Do they get to bring their things with them or are the things just taken by the government slash military? If it's their personal property, yeah, they can bring them into the camps. I mean, obviously everything's going to be inspected for drugs or disease or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is that these camps are just to get them off the street so that you can clean the streets up and get get, get L.A. back to working, okay? These, that these camps are nothing more than just temporary residences until they can get their lives sorted out. But they need to understand, and they would understand this coming into the program, it's like, this is going to be your only option. You're not being allowed to live back on the sure. street again. So let's dig into the program then. Okay. Somehow... In smaller groups, these people are diagnosed and then apportioned yeah. into these magical groups that we don't quite have designated except 
What would you just, have them designated? Just smelly though? and smart, criminally insane, and we don't know what to do with you. Those are the three groups, right? The, the ones that, that basically we've got to take in hand are the, the, the addicts that just want to live on the street. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are being, it's like, you're, you're no longer being allowed to live on the street. This is the option that we have for you. If you don't like it, get the hell out of town because you're not going to be allowed to just live on the street. Get out of town. Who's going to enforce that? The military that have been military them up cops, for the last... whatever. They're no longer just letting it ride because and, right now and, LA and is just letting them? things ride. Do they take them to the the city limits like they did in Rambo? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. All I know Mr. is, Mr. Rambo, get in my car. I'm going to drive you to the city limits. Okay, I remember. Get out, get yeah, out and walk. I do remember. I okay. Do remember. And so what does the mayor and or controller of that city think of the other people? <sighs> and in which direction do they go? Exactly? Well, it's a- L.A., so this is probably going to have to be a federal-type solution to begin with. But if you get the people of California behind it who are definitely getting fed up, I mean, the people what of L.A. What about the 60,000 people that can also vote that are now the focus of this <clears throat> collective governmental coordinating slash Who's more people? Who has more people? The people of L.A. or the homeless population? Inspection of items slash putting into groups by people that know nothing of any of the people that they're meeting who are going to be told they're going to do this or they will be done away with. They're not going to be done away with. They're just being moved out of town. Moved out of town to where exactly? I don't know. I, I, to to I, like a volcano crater or like where, where would they go? Offered. <laughs> this is the whole point. Okay, you're okay, asking okay. For. All right, I'm no, just, okay. I'm trying to satisfy um, you. Offer to give them one-way bu- bus tickets to wherever they want to go. One-way bus tickets to wherever they want to go, and the same magic money just appears out of thin air to pay for those as well. It's appearing because the city's getting money back. It's, it, the, since the city is coming back to work, that money is going back into the tax coffers that could help pay for this. You know, people. Okay, the first group, people that were on the street because they couldn't afford it. Yeah. Offer them a chance to stay in these temporary residences for less than what they're paying, and that money goes partially into the program as well. The people that have the buildings that uh, you convert into these residences, uh, they get some kind of a tax credit. I don't know. There's any number of solutions that you could use to make this happen. Okay. But you, I, but you go group easy. by group by group. Right. It's easy to say there's a number of solutions that can make this problem solved. I get that. Right. Bottom line, it's here. Somehow we've got the magical money. Mm-hmm. Somehow the people are in approximate groupings. Somehow there is food. Let's say it's only half. Half so of half, what, half of, the people? Half of 30,000. Okay. So 30,000 instead of 60,000. All right. So you feed a stadium full of people and that's 60,000. I mean, and they do it cost in an right. arm and a leg. Right, Wait, but for a year. You're, you're talking about an incubation period to get people out of what they were into what they might might be a year. But in that process, okay, in that process, you've got people that are getting their lives back together and are now going to work on their own. It, it, it's a gradual process. It's not just, boom, we need a huge lump of some money money to you know keep this thing going for a year. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. It's a gradual process. The first part is, is that you, it, you educate them, let them know. What's coming? How it's going to work? You, the people of California, look, this is what we're going to do. People of L.A., this is what we're going to do. Then you actually tell the people just you know, driving around, talking to homeless people, putting bulletin, bulletins up. Whatever you is you have to do to let them know that this program is coming. So the first group that's going to come to you pretty much on their own are going to be the people that are on the street because they couldn't afford someplace to live. 
And who knows, maybe some of the people that are just addicts on the street that, that you know, see the writing on the wall, it's like, I'm well, not going to be able to live on the I, street anymore. Right. We're, we're, we're kind of twisting the game because my whole booking's not working, so let's just do it this way. Okay. All right, so the first thing. Well, no, your whole booking is helping because it, you're, it, you're, it, you're pointing it, out things well, I'm missing. Okay, well, prepare yourself because these are the ones you're going to have to dig into that I, th- I will have nothing to do with me, but they're the ones I'm going to bring up, bring up, and they will be huge juggernauts inside of your plan. Okay, guys listening right now, please go on your own to wavesense.com <laughs> and help me fill in these holes because I know Mike's going to give me some biggies. Go ahead, shoot, shoot. So, so the, the big... It's not the biggest one, but it's definitely one of the most impressive, and it's uh-huh. one that my dad would instantly bring up when he starts to, when when anybody starts talking about designating people. Okay. When you start designating people, what that means is that let's say there are let's say there are twelve people inside of our studio tonight. Okay. Hello, twelve people inside of the studio. All right. I'm wondering, who has blue eyes? Oh, raise your hand. Oh, great. Okay, so John, Mary, Stephen, and Mike. Great. Awesome. We're going to we're going to grab you and we're going to put you right over here, okay? You're in this little group right here. You stay right here. Great. Can I got your names right here? Great. Okay. Who's got brown eyes? Oh, okay. Yolanda, great. And oh, Steve, Steve, come on over. Great. Okay. And, oh, and Chrissy, Chrissy, come on over. All right, so you guys, the brown eye people, you're going to be right over here. Okay? Do you guys see where he's Perfect. going with this? Because I do. Awesome. Terrific. Okay, so who's got devil red eyes? Oh, only one of you. Okay, well, you go sit over in the corner over there real quick. I'll, we'll be right with you. That's great. All right, devil anybody else? Okay, kind of a mix. Oh, I see. Kind of hazel. Oh, a green. Okay, that's very nice. And yours, I don't Oh, you're wearing contact lenses. Okay, we have a I'm, special I'm, group for you for the contact lenses. I'm so, throwing this out the window right now because what you're doing and what your dad would have been doing is going on on ethnic stereotypes. That's got or, or ethnicities. That's got this. That no, has nothing no, to do with. No, that. it has nothing to do with ethnicity. What it has to do with directly is making lists of people, <sighs> and making lists of people should be an instant red flag for everybody everywhere. It doesn't mean that everybody's nefarious or they've got devil demands that are going to go on, uh-huh. but it means that you are segregating people in particular based on either a physical trait or something that they tell you so that they can be put into a group. And as long as you can be put into a group, that's cool. But the instant that a list is made and then the list disseminated, red flag. People make lists all the time for all kinds of, of they stuff. Right. And and I'm glad that you have no problem with it. That's terrific. Not a gun owner, correct? No, I'm okay, not I, a gun I, owner. But I, 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 I didn't think so. And because I, if you I, were no, one... I, no, 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 no. Mike, and you were on Mike, a list. Mike, it's not a one size fits all world. This isn't right. a one size fits all solution. But the idea, but the thing is, is that these people are on the street. Mm-hmm. They are causing a massive problem for this city. Sure, they're they're they're, they're slowly but surely eating it oh, away, we're, we're, and nobody has any solutions. Wait, wait, I, under, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying and so leave it. I am acknowledging that there is a huge problem. Right. And it's not just one city. It's cities. Right. But the solution that we're talking about Something has to be, Louis. that's one of the big problems, making lists, big, giant red flag. Right. Okay. Second. Okay. Well, once again, that's where I come back and I say, okay, well, then what is your solution? The, 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 the whole list well, thing is do just- you, Do you want me to run through the poking of holes or do you want yeah, me go, to go talk ahead, about go a ahead, solution? Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Second thing. Utilizing America's military to go cordon people. Is not what the American military is made for. Nobody. The National Guard, none of them. That's not what it was made for. Somewhere inside of a constitutional argument, there's also going to be that that's not going to work either. Again, I don't know the nuances of 
calling in the military to cordon people off and do what we're supposed to. So just use the police then? I don't know. It would have to. It would have probably to not have be, to be the just the police, then. right? It would have to. Not okay. Well, be the I just threw the military out because I just thought it was a good. No, okay, go ahead. Right. Because you're going to use them to build a camp, most likely. You know, that would probably be the sure. Our Army Corps of Engineers Thank provide you. you with plans to yes. make camp for insert thousands of people. I I totally get that. Okay. All right. Imagine if it was like um, you had to make the camp for people that survived uh, a hurricane, mm-hmm. and they're their entire neighborhood was wiped out. And so we dispatch the National Guard to go and build and help and provide federal funds to blah. Right. Now, I whether or not that can work here like that, that uh, you asked about solutions, that yeah. would probably be my solution. Okay. Is try and shoehorn how all that works. And again, I'm not the mechanic of how all that works. Right. But I know that there's a way to do it because they do it. Okay. Whenever there's some massive, terrible thing that happens, whether it's a tornado or flooding or a hurricane or giant earthquake, what always happens is there's a, a Federal Emergency Management Act uh-huh. that happens, and then monies from the government goes to X area right. along with right. the machinations of the military and or National Guard to right. affect the building and support structure of blah. Yeah. That does happen. Okay. Whether or not it could be in on something like this, I don't know. Your first request was to poke holes in your plan. Yeah. So I'm poking holes in your plan. Okay. All right. Okay. Third plan. Designated people with armbands. Probably not so good an idea. Mostly because- Wristbands. Wristbands, whatever. Okay. Doesn't make any difference. The- the denotation of people like that is another giant red flag, which I will eventually get to because oh, okay. I'm winding up the pitch. All right. Okay. And then the next thing to step to, I think the big one that we're talking about is the, and it is what it is, it's the doing away with people. I realize we are not going to go throw them into the cavernous crater of a volcano. Right. We're not going to put them in the sewer and let them live out the Lord of the Flies in the sewers. Right. People aren't static. Right. But- they have to go somewhere. Yeah. And of the holes that I would talk about that aren't swaying towards something like being a second coming of Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich, mm-hmm. I am talking about they got to go somewhere. Right. And in particular, the ones that don't want to jump into the program, mm-hmm. because those are the people that are going to get gone first. Yeah. We've already stated that. Okay, right. so are you interested in bettering your life? Okay, no, no problem. Great. Get out. Okay, well, what is exactly does that mean? Okay. And if you can't designate and then offer them options, I mean, the the solution that you'd provided was you get a one-way bus ticket. Well, guess who's going to make sure that the bus companies don't come to their town? And now what are we talking about? And I don't know that there's a way to do that, but like if if a mayor or a a governor or a legislator Mm -hmm. just said, look, because of this program in L.A., we will not be accepting bus traffic from L.A. proper or surrounding cities or whatever the legislation yeah, would be. Yeah. But I'm guessing that there could be something like that, or at least it could be it could be suggested and then acted on mm-hmm. based on the people that live there and are the constituents. Mm-hmm. Because which of the constituents will go, oh, yes, please. Please bring all of your tired, homeless, smelly people that are the first people that don't want to get a solution to their homelessness. Please bring them here. Okay. Who are those people? Clean them up first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, oh, and that, again, that gets back to it. You have to make them clean first, and then we'll take them. Oh, okay. 
So uh, it, it's fraught. It's fraught with problems. Right. Somehow the Swiss were able to pull it off in this Valhalla of let's have some heroin. Oh, that's the other one I wanted to talk about too. What? A heroin. Like the government just has a vast store of to heroin. Make, well, I mean, it's just opium that you convert into a product, and it, uh, the Swiss had found out, you know. When you're making government-grade heroin, it's uh-huh. really cheap. It's going to cost— it, It's really cheap, but it still then becomes a money-making opportunity, which it just, this is Not probably— Not unless you're doing a, it at on. cost. This is probably the largest problem, and doing it at cost is bullshit. You and I both know that. Nothing would ever be done at cost because it's not going to work for cost. Okay. What would instantly happen is you'd have a team of legislators inside that state mm-hmm. that would instantly become bolsterers for PACs for that. Yeah. And now what are we doing? We're actually making drugs to feed to people to make people rich. Now, you said solutions, and the only thing I can think of in regard to solution is when can L.A.'s mayor and or governing legislators walk in and go, we have a citywide, communitywide federal emergency. Mm-hmm. We cannot walk 25 feet and not step in human excrement. Right. There is a problem here, and we need help. But that's already been they, no, they haven't. There's no, there's no federal anything that oh, says no, we are no, going that, to come yeah, and help right. you. They're, they're not going to the federal government for this, right? And I, I guess I would, I would say, when what if they did? Would the federal government just go no? Because the answer, the federal government can't just go well, no. Because if we say yes to you, well, then all the other cities are going to ask. Can that be the answer? Mm. That, but if I had to go towards a solution, it would be somehow to rope in a emergency situation solution like they do for hurricanes or earthquakes or some incredibly dire circumstance. Right. Now, what that doesn't do is it doesn't help you at all with the people that say, I don't want help. I have no interest in this new plan. It doesn't help you with the people that say, yeah, yeah, I want help, all kinds of help, and they're bad anyway. But where are they going to go if you just make it so that they can't, no, that they can no longer live on the street? You're I'll, not putting a tent up here. I'll give you're not you the crap on the street. You're right. not. I'll give you the flip test, though. Okay. Where are you going to put them? I don't want to do that, Wade. What are you going to do with me? You're going to just put me on a truck? Do like Joe Arpaio and just put them in like jail what, camps. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Joe Arpaio. Do you remember who Joe Arpaio was? Oh, Joe was? Arpaio, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, well but he, see, you, he's got a work camp because it's a prison. Yeah, well, so you know, you're, we're going to now ship all these people to already full prisons? You're com- well, you're committing a crime by living on the street and crapping on the street and, and basically being a nuisance. I mean, it's a low-grade crime, but you're still committing a crime. So they hold out their wrists and say, lock me up, and now you go down to the jail for four squares? Yeah, and guess what? No drugs there. You know, you're going to be it's, it's not going to be any fun. You're living on the street right now because California's got beautiful weather and no one is stopping you from being the, the, the piece of human excrement that you are. Mm-hmm. OK. Right. So if you stop them, if you make it miserable. OK, say Jade is living at home still at 18, 19 years mm-hmm. old and she's not in college and you want you want her to get out and out on your own. What do you do? You start making life miserable to be there. You you know you make her pay rent, and there's work that she's got to do, and you can't just and even though she's quote unquote adult, you don't let her come and go because that disturbs the rhythm of your house. Mm-hmm. So you, you that's the, that's the microcosm. Now you take it to the macrocosm. It's like you're not going to be allowed to live on the street and cause problems anymore. We're gonna we're gonna be coming by and hosing and throwing your tents and doing all. We're basically not letting you do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And like, so where like, do you like put any them? good cop of the past is like, no, you can't loiter. Move it along. Move it along. Right. And, but so what do you do with them? They'll at that point they'll leave the city on their own. They migrated to the city on their own. A lot of them. A lot of people ended up in L.A. because they made it easy. You know, they 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 were giving away free needles. No, they're not stopping you from. You can get more trouble lighting a cigarette up on the street of L.A. than shooting up on the street. Mm -hmm. That's how backwards it is. Okay, let's take that vein then. What happens when, in addition to the free needles, now they're giving you also the free drugs with the needles? But they're giving it to you in a controlled environment in these particular camps. You're Mm -hmm. you're now off of, like I said, you're off of the street. Part of the homeless uh, population is being used to clean up that. They're getting paid a living wage. They're now off the street. They're in these these temporary camps or buildings or whatever. What if you're in the camp? Uh Camps? Camp? Jamborees? Whatever they're calling them? Uh What if you're in them and you're in the program and Uh you're not being, you're not following the program or you're stealing from people or- You get booted out. Booted out. Where do those people go? Jail? That's entirely up to them. If they're committing crimes, then yeah, they could go to jail. But it's not going to be a pleasant jail. It's going to be, you know, a Joe Arpaio. You're you're doing you're you're in a prison work camp. It's gonna suck. Mm-hmm. If it sucks, you're gonna leave on your own. Interesting. What? I, I just it's, it's like, a tough love scenario. It's a personal accountability scenario. Sure. Like I, most of the ones that we come up with. Wade, those are all fantastic questions, and the best part is that we actually have someone that can answer all of those questions and more tonight. Oh, excellent. Yeah, we've actually got Ed on the phone, and Ed is, uh, what was that again, Wade? He is the task force officer for... A drug enforcement agency, correct, Ed? Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining the show tonight. How are you? Pretty good. I like yourself. Good, good. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? I've been in law enforcement for the last seven and a half years. Um, I started out on the road as a patrolman at Lake St. Louis. Eventually worked my way into the county's regional drug task force, where I was an undercover detective for approximately six months, and then moved over towards the um, street side investigations team, where we handled uh, meth labs, uh, overdose deaths, and various other nuances within the underworld that is the drug world. Following that, an opportunity became open for me to become a task force officer with the Drug Enforcement Administration, which I happily took, and I have been down there for approximately the last four months. Oh, that's amazing. And I I can't thank you enough for your perspective because it's one that we get far too infrequently. I know that we we see all kinds of things on television and inside of feature films that feature you and your division and people of your ilk. But I think you're going to provide a whole bunch of light tonight on what we're talking about in regard to a a very real opioid crisis and what we can do to try and halt it. And what I'm basing the whole show on was something that I discovered through my research. In Switzerland, they had a really, really bad problem with uh, opioid addiction uh, to the point where it was just mirroring the worst of what we had in this country. People ODing and dying in public, needles all over the place, drug deals going on in public, massive crime, street crime, street prostitution, the whole bit. And they decided on something that on the surface sounds absolutely ludicrous, But they had astounding success with it. What they decided to do was to actually get the street addicts to be able to come in 
off the street and in a controlled environment give them clinically produced uh, heroin. Not enough to ever to kill themselves, but enough to feed their addiction. And, and But at the same time what they did, what made the program so utterly unique was that they decided to give them as much counseling as they needed. Long story short, fast forward, street prostitution immediately almost disappeared. House break-ins almost stopped. The uh, officers over there now can put almost all their time into just dealing with the uh, big-time dealers. But so many of the people that started on the program, and in this they started in 94, are off of the program. They, they ended up becoming, for lack of a better way of looking at it, functional addicts and then got off of the program. And the Swiss actually went back. And these are very pragmatic, extremely conservative people. It wouldn't have seemed like they would have embraced this solution. But it's really, really hard to deny, like I said, astounding success. And my idea was to apply this in at least a test bed of um, probably the worst problem that we have right now, which is Los Angeles. And my whole idea was to... Uh, what I, I called it control, clean, and cure. The whole idea being that first you have the army come in and set up temporary camps. You control the situation. You, you, you introduce to the addicts. First off, you find out which ones are uh, homeless because of rent problems, and you enlist them to help uh, clean the city. And for that, they also get a chance to uh, stay in the camps until they can get on their own. The mentally insane are taken off of the street and put into sanitariums where they should have been to begin with. And then you start dealing with the addicts with the Swiss method, which is you get them off of the street and start uh, giving them clean drugs. They're no longer shooting up in public and get them off of the program. My whole idea was to just do that in a controlled environment of L.A. and see what would happen. So I guess my question for you is, do you think something like that would work? And have you heard of anything about the, uh, the, the Swiss method and, and their success? So, yeah, I was able to read an article, I guess, that you had initially found and did some of your research on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I found it was very interesting, and I have heard of actually a safe injection site that they opened up in San Francisco. How'd it work? I think it's still, they're still trying it out and seeing, trying to work out the kinks and seeing how's, the results, and I think they're still gathering data and everything like that with the enormous HIV problem that they have going on in San Francisco. Yeah. How old is the program? How long have they been doing it? I believe it's almost a year old. Okay. So that's pretty new still, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But I know that they also have, as well as really the entire United States also has an enormous methamphetamine problem. Yes. That I know is plaguing San Francisco as well, which in turn leads to more... IV users than just like what was happening in Switzerland, the spread of HIV and other blood-borne diseases. Occurred. Right, that, so. that plummeted after they, they started their program, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a wrinkle that I hadn't thought of. Do you think that you'd handle addiction the, the same way with uh, meth as you would heroin? The same process so of it, counseling and everything? Yeah, so it, it's, just, it's slightly different. What most people don't know is that what starts out making any kind of extreme opioid like heroin or fentanyl so addictive is that the first time a user uses it, a massive amount of dopamine, which is the brain's pleasure hormone, yes. gets released throughout the body. Mm-hmm. What most people don't know 
And I didn't know until I got into law enforcement and received even further training as a police officer was that methamphetamine actually releases more dopamine the first time a user uses it than any kind of opioid that anyone could get out on the street legally or illegally. Now that explains the addiction. Yeah, and the problem with once you do that is you guys might have heard the phrase chasing the dragon. Yeah. What someone that's on heroin or something like that, they try to achieve the same high that they got the first time, but your body's not made to release that much dopamine. Thus, they're never able to get that same high. Well, the same thing goes with methamphetamine, and eventually, the more and more they use methamphetamine, the more and more the receptors in their brain get burned out, and therefore, they're never able to get a normal hormone balance in their brain. Mm. Um, without some sort of uh, prescription help after somewhat of a long period of time. I don't know the exact period of time is. I don't claim to be a medical professional, but just based on treatment, people that are in, um, that teach treatment programs and run them and just all the various training that I've attended and been privileged to have, just what they've instructed with us of why people start acting a certain way once they eventually do get clean off uh, illegal drugs like heroin, fentanyl, you know, methamphetamine or any amphetamine for that matter. Do you know of uh, anybody locally trying to do this type of method? Uh, I do not. Like I said, the only case I've heard was in San Francisco. Yeah. Our, our situation here in the United States is, is really unique in that What Switzerland, there's several things that Switzerland doesn't have or have that the United States doesn't. And I think the Swiss were able to capitalize on some things that they do have and that they don't have, and they didn't have to deal with those problems with, you know, with rolling out a program like that, even though they did have some blowback. Mm -hmm. That made it successful there. But I think trying to instill a program like that over here uh, this sounds terrible, but the American culture is one of overindulgence. Yeah. I think when you have that kind of culture, it's it's very hard to overcome several aspects that you would have to do to make that program work. And I just, there's just so many roadblocks by trying to roll that out in the United States. It'd just be too tough. What if you used it at the same way? Like I said, with my idea being the same time that you're doing this, you're also cleaning off the city and basically triaging the homeless, you know, separating the addicts and dealing with them with their issues. But basically everybody is off the street. Now you can clean the city back up, regain control. Do you think that it would work in that type of a testbed environment? Because one of the ideas that I had was when the military went in, when the government went in and started talking to the addicts, is everybody would get an armband. So now it's a controlled group. Nobody's come, nobody can come in and join, you know, sneak into the program but you get everybody off of the street and then start from there, and it's just L.A. So you would find out, okay, well, this will work here, and our worst problem, why can't we do this in other cities, city by city by city? So they would get an armband to where other people couldn't sneak in, but could these people leave voluntarily? Not be part of the program? Correct. Like, they could opt out of the program at any time. It's a free country. I guess they would have to. This is one of those things where Micah is going to start poking vicious holes <laughs> in my ideas. You have to go back and listen to our show, sir. There's, yeah. I, I brought what I thought were very many beautiful gems to the table, 
And Mike just turned them into Swiss cheese by the time well, I was done. I, I don't know about Swiss cheese, but what I can tell you is that the instant that, and I, I, I know Ed knows this firsthand, especially as a former patrolman, the instant you start making lists of people mm-hmm. and you start giving people oh, armbands. I know, I know, I know. It's, you it's start, ugly on the surface, but it, that's... See, it's not ugly on the surface. It's ugly. And Dude, the, but how do you solve the problem, though? There's no question that this is a problem that will take way more than any of us have the intestinal fortitude to push forward. I totally agree with that. Right. If we take this the sample city that Ed is using, mm-hmm. I think we're talking a much, about a much larger problem to begin with. San hey, Francisco. Right. Uh, hey, how about we make sure that we can walk 50 feet without stepping in feces? Exactly. That would be a great start. But that's the, pro- the and, idea is that you get them off of the street into these temporary camps. Right. And the only reason the armband is there just so no one sneaks in or, or, or to get right. a, a, the, a part of it. It's the, a controlled the, the, environment. The reason that I mention uh, Ed's being a former patrolman is mm-hmm. that Ed can tell you probably eons of stories and probably even better ones inside of this new organization mm-hmm. where people do things because they don't want to do what they should be doing. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with about helping themselves, much less anybody else. They just don't want to do that. And so they do something different. Is that is that fair, Ed? Oh, very fair. I I know science, and again, I don't have any good reference points to to point out other than my own experience and through training. Is that I mean, when I was in patrol, I, I would deal. You'd go to a house and you'd deal with a family, and you, you would kind of start seeing the beginning sign of, let's say, uh, a young adult going down the wrong road. He would be testing his parents. He'd be dabbling and. You know, maybe just marijuana or pills or, you know, abusing his prescription Xanax or what have you. And then you would see the evolution of addiction happen, and you would eventually see, depending on how out of control this young adult would be, and I mean, I've even seen 40-year-olds do this, uh, living at home with their parents or even with their wives or husbands, and depending on how fast they decline, the addiction actually changes the chemistry in their brain that i mentioned before and i mean they're not they're not even the same person that they were when they were completely sober like they've completely changed not saying that they can't they can't become free of the addiction or anything like that or that they're a bad person what i'm saying is that the the shell of the person that their family or friends once knew isn't there because the addiction has taken over their entire life. So from a rational standpoint, talking to a homeless person that's not addicted to anything that's just strictly homeless and doesn't have any mental illness, which is another huge issue that plagues America, Mm -hmm. and uh, not taking care of the mentally ill properly, is the fact that a reasonable homeless person is for sure going to want, okay, you're going to offer me this if I do this? Absolutely. I don't want to be cold out on the street. You know, I want a a meal. I want to live like a decent human being. Right. But to someone that's deep into addiction, hey, I'll pull you off the street. I'll, I'll give you, you know, three square meals a day. In fact, I'll even try to get you into treatment and everything like that. If the person that's deep in addiction is not, does not want to get treatment, and I've, I've seen this time and time again where a family member or a friend or even us as law enforcement, because although we're painted in some bad light with officer shootings and stuff like that a lot of the times when we go to these houses we don't want to go to these same houses over and over we want to solve the problem and help these people 
no matter what the issue is. And we saw time and time again that no matter how hard we tried, I mean, offering rides to rehab facilities that are, are free and, and various things like that, I mean, we'll do anything. And these people willingly turn them down because they're just not in the right mental state because of their addiction. They have, yeah. they have to hit rock bottom. Something in their life has to happen. Something has to snap on to realize, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And and, the breaking point for everyone is different. Right. And the, the whole getting to the breaking point part is what I think is the most troublesome part of the, of your solution. Yeah. Because when you start then stacking on real mental illness on top of what was quote, just an addiction, when you start stacking on the different elements that are making what was sometimes never a regular life, what do people have to aspire to other than what they either know or what maybe somebody was talking about? And that goes back to trying to figure out and gauge where all of these people are, which is something that you and I talk about these wide sweeping citywide solutions often. Right. And it's one of the most important parts that I think is one of the pieces that will always be forgotten in the actual implementation of the solutions. Right. In fact, I would venture a guess that the program that Ed's talking about in San Francisco, right. if we were actually able to dig down into what's going on inside that program, uh-huh. one of the things I can guarantee you will be missing what? is the initial diagnosis of exactly what is going on with the person that's in the program. Well, because isn't that where counseling would come in then? The, right. You say counseling, though, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's more like a 40-point check for each person. It's not just counseling. It's where there would need to be some sort of in-depth diagnostic done. But, Mike, this is one of those things where even if the program is only 50% successful, how much of a drop would that be? In crime, how much of a drop would that be in in public o- overdoses? Right. How much of a drop? All of the right. if it's if it's only half successful, right? You get fl- the ball but, rolling, right? But flip that around. Let's say it, and again, we're pulling numbers out of our butts because we don't know what we're talking about, right? But let's say it's thirty million dollars to get this pilot program run, right? You're saying fifty percent failure. Okay, well, in the eyes of the public, but more importantly, all politicians on both sides, yeah, you've just blown. $15 million for no particular reason. And hey, by the way, look, eight deaths in the last month because they couldn't not only kick the addiction, mm. they drowned in feces in the city of San Francisco. Yeah, great work, politician X. And hey, let's let's thank Wade Sense for the solution quick. Because mm. you know as well as I do the way that the media works, that's exactly how it would be painted. Yeah. It wouldn't be, my God, look at all of these people that have found a way. So my response to that is always going to be, then what is your solution? Because if I'm halfway successful, that's better than mm-hmm. it's better to be fifty percent right than a hundred percent wrong. Yeah. Well, and again, I I love it that we have a dude that can actually tell us more about anything that you and I will ever know. Ed, yeah. how what has been one of the most successful ways for people to be recognized with and then be able to beat addiction in your very short time at the agency, but in law enforcement in general to return back to a normal life. The best chance that I've seen for people to return to their almost, you know, normal life prior to addiction has been either completely moving away from the area that they first got their into addiction. Makes sense. Makes sense. Which is usually, you know, their hometown. Either that or receiving long-term treatment, again, not in the area that they're from. And I say this because what typically happens when someone starts spiraling into addiction is again they they start thinking 
only about themselves and only about their addiction, especially opioid users because they start getting physically sick and they, they physically, and as it's been described to me, especially fentanyl users, they feel like their own body is trying to kill them, that they ache everywhere, they throw up, they got the shivers, it's like the flu times a thousand. Mm. And they will do anything to avoid that. So the, the best chance is for them to seek long-term treatment away so that they can distance themselves from all of the other users that they surrounded themselves with while they were in their addiction. So the temptation is less. And that also allows them to separate themselves from all of the other issues that they had going on in their lives that might have caused them to use other coping mechanisms, such as illegal drugs. Most importantly, it separates them from their dealer. I'm, I'm right. not saying this in all cases, but it's impossible to find drugs if I were to go into another city. I definitely am not saying that. But to some of the areas, such as St. Louis City, that you have to go into to find illegal drugs, which there are certain places in St. Louis City that are near an open-air drug market, yep. uh, where you could literally drive down the with a $20 bill out your window and someone will come up and serve you fentanyl or just about any other drug you want. What I, what I also wanted to throw in there, and it's on the coattails of what Ed's saying, is that in addition to leaving the area, what you're also leaving is their ability to go back to the people that still somehow sometimes care about them and steal from them and take advantage of them so that they can continue to feed their addiction. If they're inside of another city or another place where they are not easily able to then just go back to mom or dad or grandpa's house. Well, that camp will be a controlled environment. Once they're in there, they're part of a program and they're getting cleaned up and the counseling that they need right. to get off of their addiction, both right. mental I'm, and physical. What I'm trying to do, though, is I'm trying to answer your question, which okay. was, and so what would be your solution? And so according to what Ed's talking about, it's possible that your your solution might work, yeah. but it would have to be like a rotating city. So the sample would be if there were five different cities that are implementing this program mm -hmm. and you had the people from, I don't want to start with San Francisco because the number would be just too enormous. Right. But a city, you take the people from city X and you move them to city Y mm -hmm. and you take the spiral of the five cities and move those people so that as Ed is talking about, you'd be removing the familiarity piece okay. of the puzzle okay. I so see. that it's still there. Yeah. Your controlled environment inside of that new city actually does double duty in a positive way, Okay. i.e. if it is a place where you need to stay inside of these bounds or you're out of the program. You need to be wearing this armband. I'm not a fan. Uh, and you'll be in the program. That's just to identify them. I mean... I, dude, I get it, but let's go talk to some, although we're not going to be able to talk to them very much longer, let's dude, go talk to some... we're not talking tattoos, we're not talking arm tattoos for, like, what the Nazis gave the Jews. I'm just saying... Right, but just, remember that remember that the gay Jews didn't get any tattoos, they just got armbands. So... That I didn't know. Ha ha. Why would they not... I didn't even know that. They they weren't worth the tattoo. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, so, and that's what, I, that's what I'm saying, is okay. that, are you sure you really want to hand out armbands? And the answer is, I know I'm not going to be in that line. That was just to identify, well, you wouldn't be in the program to begin with. These are people... I get that, it, yeah, but okay, it, right. it's the same thing. If if uh, if law enforcement came down the street and said, hey, we've got free armbands to support the police. Are you ready for your armband? Uh, no, thank you. I'm no, not, I'm not interested. Thank yeah, you. Right. Add one quick question, because uh, you were talking about uh, fentanyl and actual fentanyl users. That's a light bulb moment for me because I honestly, I thought that fentanyl was something that was being snuck into heroin 
coming up across the border. I didn't realize people were actually seeking out fentanyl by itself. A lot of the illegal drugs that are coming over the border now, due to the legalization of marijuana in certain states, the cartels have figured out, well, we're not going to lose money on certain places legalizing marijuana. And the legalized marijuana is much better quality than the cartels can produce down in Mexico. Right. So they've had to figure out ways to continue generating uh, copious amounts of revenue, which they've now turned to the Chinese, and they get a large amount of fentanyl shipped from China into Mexico, in which they bring up through the border, through their uh, trafficking routes, mm-hmm. and disperse it amongst the United States. Now, heroin, the process for cultivating poppy plants and synthesizing it into heroin is a lengthy process and takes a lot of process over three months. So for them to do that and wait for that just isn't cost advantageous. So they've just switched to what most of the United States has seen is a large amount of fentanyl and heroin has gone by the wayside. That's just for profit reasons and for it's created a greater demand. Fentanyl is just that much stronger than heroin. I'm, I don't know if you guys have seen the commercial on TV where they show just the amount of heroin that it would take to overdose, but bringing a kilo of heroin can make you upwards of over a half million dollars. Mm. Just by cutting it with other agents um, and various powders and then putting it in the capsule form or selling it in a small micro baggie, which is just a really small Ziploc bag, mm-hmm. and selling it in powder form and selling it that way. There was another issue that I saw in the article was that they don't have, they didn't have the amount of fentanyl that the United States does now. That's just another issue to contend with. I'm just surprised when you said that because I thought fentanyl was so deadly. And I was just thinking out of it strictly from a, a business standpoint, why would you be attempting to try and, and get rid of uh, your buyers, your, your addicts, putting poison out? I've thought about that too. And <laughs> when, you start, when you start diving deep into understanding these you know, large cartels and criminal organizations, I mean, just my short time down at the Drug Enforcement Administration, Right. I've learned that the mentality of these people is not one that even a rational mind can understand. When, Makes sense. When a load of drugs or even a large load of currency, say a quarter million dollars, gets taken off by either a rival cartel or law enforcement, are they mad? Yes. But a lot of the times we find out they just, you'll hear the boss do various investigative means you'll be able to uh, look into their communications and you'll discover that they write it off. This is the cost to do a business. We know that, you know, one out of every 10 loads of contraband and or money are going to get picked off either by someone else or one of our employees is going to fumble and mess it up or steal from us. It's the cost to do a business, but overall we're going to make a profit. And that's the same way with the user base. They understand that they're going to lose a certain amount of users due to them overdosing, but in the end, they're going to continue to make money and gain more users because what's crazy is that the users, when they find out that their friend or who's ever within their user circle overdoses, they want to go to that dealer for their dope. What? Yes. They want to go. That's truly insane. That's dope is. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And as a person that's not into addiction at all, 
And to a rational mind, that is just absolutely crazy. Yeah. And I, it just, every time I hear it during an interview, because I, I always like to ask someone their story. How did you get here, wherever they are in the distance, whether it be in the beginning or the very end, you know, close to the end where they're about to hit rock bottom? How, how did this start? Because to me, it's always more data that I can gather to trying to understand of yeah. basically doing exactly what you're trying to do, Wade, is you're thinking and you're trying to help people and come up with some sort of solution and try to do your part in trying to navigate this world that we live in and trying to help other people out. Yeah. Yeah. The death of Corey Haim made me start to write a screenplay, and the screenplay was called Death Dealer. All right. And essentially what it is is if you take the, the concept of Death Wish, mm-hmm. which is an avenging father right. going to seek out justice on the people that murdered family, blah. Right. Okay, well, it's exactly the same thing. The difference is that the moniker of Death Dealer would then pass to anybody that was in the cone of influence of someone that was lost because a dealer was the person that sold to whomever. And so it would either be a vengeful family member or a friend. And the, the problem with it was, when I started digging into it, is exactly what Ed said, which is that all of the friends and or if the family members were also addicted, well, guess who they went to go get their dope from the day after the deaths happened? Wow. And I, so I the, can't wrap my head around this. Oh, well, and I can't either. And that that is a great microcosm, though, of what I'm trying to tell you when we try and implement something that is commonsensical. Yeah. Is that the whole commonsensical coconut, it doesn't exist in the equation. Uh, it exists for you and I and the the government that needs to implement the program and the mm. people that are going to be volunteering for the program and the people that will somehow find ways to pay for all of this. All of that is incredibly commonsensical. But the people and players inside of it and all the people that surround it are not in the realm of common sense. Gotcha. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Ed, what a what a phenomenal evening tonight. You've uh, provided us with so many light bulb moments. I can't thank you enough for joining us here on Wade Sense tonight. Thanks a lot, Ed. We really, really appreciated you calling in and being a part of our program. I know. Thank you. I really appreciate spending the time with you guys and being able to hopefully give you some tidbits on uh, the in and outs of law enforcement and what those guys deal with on a daily basis and just kind of in the mind of the addict and all the people that I've dealt with over my short period in law enforcement. Yeah, the, the being able to peer in is an incredibly valuable perspective, and we thank you so much. Thanks again, Ed. It was very revealing. Take care, Ed. You too. Guys, we're obviously going round and round on this one. I think I've got pretty good ideas, and I do have to admit that Mike, as always, has uh, made some very masterful hole-poking. Octung, baby. Octung. Okay, wait a minute. Hang on a second. Before snap, we leave, snap, snap the heels pause. together, Wade. Before we ha- no, no, hang on a sec. Before we, before we leave this segment, <laughs> I have to tell you about something. Because before we talked about this, you know, sometimes I run my solutions by my passengers. And I picked up this lady who was... It, was, was it the passenger that was a heroin addict? No, this was a lady. Just check it. This is a young lady who was a... Uh, she was a, a teacher and she was actually, uh, at that point, she was a, a president of the union or something like that. So I'm figuring this is a person who's pretty much left of me. I threw my solution out. And she was the reason I brought it up was she was on her way to LA right. to be part of some convention. Yeah. So I run my idea by her and she sees what I wanted to do. She saw the logic in what I was trying to do. But then I said, now I know that my producer, I know the way his mind works, and he's gonna say that, okay, there's armbands and there's lists and there's camps and it's like okay we're and thinking the military we're moving thinking, in yeah, managing yeah, people right we're thinking sure. yeah okay we're thinking uh, we're Craziness, thinking right? whatever <laughs> and here's the thing 
Then her opinion changed, but I said, no. I said, look, you did what I wanted you to do to begin with. You just saw the logic. There has to be a solution. Not until I told you what my producer's <laughs> objections were going to be. Then you had a problem with what, it. What you're telling me is that you have modern day politicized her into every scenario that a politician would. Really? How many, pol- how, hey, how many teachers do you know that aren't left? Um, that's not what I'm talking about. What, what? I'm talking about is... This is the machination of every politician, regardless of what flavor slash lean you have. Uh, Here is the machination. Okay. This makes sense. Let me explain. Explain, 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 explain. My God, that makes perfect sense. Until you start weighing the other side of things, which often is completely missing from the argument and or detail. Okay. All right. I see where you're going. Okay. But doesn't that basically... That's kind of like what it is that we do here on this program. We we come up with solutions sometimes that are uglier than the problem, and you have to have the courage to implement them oh, sure. nonetheless. That yeah. is the definition, the essence of Wade's sense. Right. Well, the other difference is, too, is that we don't get to just have our jobs forever. Hmm? We don't get to just stay in an office forever as having a discussion okay. where a politician does. No, presidents don't. Uh, okay, now that you've mentioned the one that has a term limit in general. And mayors. Well, well no. Uh, right, well, some mayors don't. Uh, again, we're talking about the people that have real impact. And mayors saying, do. Right, as does the president for four years. And then they can't ever have impact again in that office. Do you see where I'm going? There, there's not f- 40 years of political service in one seat being offered by any one person, except for the people inside of the United States government that have it. Mm. Okay. And I mean, we can, and that's on both sides. Yeah. We can list people on both sides that have been in far too long that have opinions and reasonably static movement that benefits nobody but their position. Okay. And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Most politicians talk about their position and then they leave. They pull the ripcord and they're out. Yeah. Yeah. And the people that go, yeah, hell yeah. Well, they don't ever have any other knowledge of the other side again that's the brilliance of someone like bill maher Mm -hmm. yeah he is unapologetically insertive of his own opinion regardless of whom is affected or impacted right he doesn't care whether it's left or right leaning he's going to give his opinion of what he thinks is happening and not so strangely what the solution should be right not unlike what we're talking about a lot of his solutions they're not all that awesome they're they're (laughs) they're they would be a grind it would be terribly unpopular, but they would be a solution that would be a piece of moving rather than sitting in the same stew yeah. like a pile of human excrement right. that the vast majority of these people we're talking about are right now. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Okay, guys. Well, as always, we absolutely love to hear what you have to say about uh, my solutions and Mike's hole poking. Please go to wadesense.com and let us know what it is that you're thinking. And we will be right back with more Wade Sense. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com make your podcast soar with the editor core 
The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the editor core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the editor core. Editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Welcome back to the show. We're going on to YouTubery, which has got to be my favorite way to waste time either that or wandering aimlessly about Facebook looking for people to annoy. But if not, it would be YouTubery. And my pick for YouTubery today is seven must-try foods in St. Louis. Mm. Okay, now I was actually kind of shocked. I've been in the city now. I'm not from here originally, mm -hmm. but I've been in the city for 26 years, and, sure. I, and I thought I'd either heard them all or tried them all. Mm -hmm. I've tried gooey butter cake. I did not know there were 70 kinds. If you want to know where they are, go to Park Avenue Coffee. And they sounded really delicious. They had everything from toffee to a cheesecake flavor to something with raspberries. Like, like 70 flavors. Just wow. crazy. Yeah, That's exactly. Exactly. Now, here's one that I'd heard of at a local barbecue place. And St. Louis is famous for barbecue. Mm -hmm. We have, of the top 100 in the country, we've got two in that top 100 here in the city. One of them is a place called Pappy's. I have eaten there before. It is amazing barbecue. But they had, they had something called burnt ends. And I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it looked delicious, and I'm dying to try it. Mm. Now, another local favorite is something called toasted ravioli, which is one of those awesome foods that was born of accident. What had happened was uh, someone had some ravioli, and they uh, accidentally dumped it in a fryer. It had fallen into the fryer, and he, the guy took it out and didn't know what to do with it. So he, he put it on a plate and put Parmesan on it and put some marinara dipping sauce, and a St. Louis legend was born. You can't go to any decent bar anywhere in the city or county and not get it. I, I actually, uh, a bunch of years back, I uh, went home to North Dakota, where I'm from, to my fraternity, and I brought some frozen toasted ravioli and marinara sauce up there. I'm trying to feed a house full of uh, hungry fraternity guys, and they loved it. And I said, okay, all right. Did, did they like it frozen? Well, no, they, I heated it up. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I just I, chucked I, it in their I, mouth like dogs. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually had some today from a place called Aeons. Aeons. Yeah, out here. Yeah, and it's it was spectacular. 
it it was not something they just went and bought or got frozen. It, they made them and awesome. then they cook them and then you eat them and you eat them quickly and copiously. Yes, it, and it, stuff yourself. It, it is without question one of the. I will accidentally eat an entire order of those. Accidentally, Mike, and then regret it <laughs> because they're very. Go, they, yeah, they are terribly <laughs> filling, yes. but they're so good. They, yeah. it, it it is that popcorn esque food that. You just can't stop. You you can't. Okay. There were a few other foods on here. Uh, well, I, you would have to list uh, Emo's Pizza, which is, again, a, a St. Louis uh, favorite. Mm-hmm. What makes it different is, one, it is a thin cracker crust. Mm-hmm. Now, I love the cracker crust. I have grown absolutely to be a huge fan of it. We didn't have it where uh, I grew up. But they put something on it to this day, 26 years later. Can't say that I really love I will eat it, but I never love it. And it's it's a cheese called Provel, which is a mixture of Swiss cheddar and provolone. Now, I love provolone. can kind of take Swiss, but I never think of cheddar as being something that you should put on to uh, pizza. Mm-hmm. But uh, nonetheless, it is on, it, it's, it's on the pizza, and it's kind of hard to avoid on some St. Louis pizzas. But the last one, the one that, that, that I'd never, ever heard of, was a sandwich called a Gerber sandwich, which is, okay, now it sounds good. It's French bread with a garlic butter that is brushed on it and it's toasted. It's got ham piled on top, and then they screwed up because they put Provel over it and then sprinkle it with paprika. I want to try it with another cheese. I'll have to go to this place and do it. And that was a place called. I'm certain that they'll they'll make whatever you want for. Yeah, for it's a place called Ruma's Deli. So if you're ever in St. Louis, it's one of the foods. But uh, you know what? Just go ch- go check out the video. It's seven must-try foods in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That's my pick. For my first pick, Mike. I have a couple of interesting picks this time. My first one. Your is, picks are always interesting, Mike. Yeah. My, well, well, gosh, thanks, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my first pick is unusually robust this time. Okay. I have, through a variety of means, come to be very interested in the always interesting stylings of one Henry Rollins. Yes. And for those that don't know Henry Rollins. He's known for a variety of things, but his largest accolade would be the lead singer for a punk band. Yeah, Yeah. a a, a hardcore. Well, I I, there there are so many names to go by, whether it's a punk band or thrash. I think thrash is probably a better a better indicator. Would describe it. Punk thrash band, Mm -hmm. Black Flag. Right. I remember when he had black hair, Uh and I remember when he was absolutely ripped and looked like Wolverine. Yeah. And I remember specifically when they were casting Wolverine for the X-Men movie, I'm like, well, how about Henry Rollins? That would be a good pick. Yeah. And it, it it's not nearly as crazy as you think, in particular when you now see him. And Henry has become older. Yeah. There's no question. Right. Uh, the hair that used to be jet black, whether it was initially in naturally jet black, is now not jet black. Right. It is stark white. Mm-hmm. Like white hair. Right. And he has gotten older, you know, as right. as are we all. Still wouldn't mess with him, though. Well, and that, that's kind of where I'm going with this. The The video that's on YouTube that I'm going to point you and the audience to is a video of him singing the song Rise Above. And Rise Above is a hallmark inside the cone of Black Flag music. Oh, okay. Now, the only thing that makes it better, asterisk. 
Cindy Lauper sings it with him. What? Yes. And uh, you have to go see the video. Oh, you, yeah. I guarantee that 99% of the people that listen to music will not like the song. And I, that I'm not, I don't doubt that, and I get it. How the hell did those two come up to collaborate together? <laughs> I have no idea. That's a bizarre mix. And I, I would not have clicked on this if it only said Henry Rollins sings Rise Above Yesterday at the Novo Club in Los Angeles. I yeah. wouldn't have clicked on it. Right. But you added Cindy Lauper and dude I'm in. Oh God. Hit you have the to play be. button you faster. Have to be. And it's just like a human it, cartoon. It is what it is. It's it's absolutely tremendous. The hallmarks that are there are the facial expressions of one Henry Rollins that uh, are absolutely horrific. Right. You will instantly be fearful after watching him, <laughs> which is why I love him. <laughs> and then also knowing the mind that is behind him having listened to him on a variety of oh, different he's so podcasts. Smart. It is amazing. What you're also going to be horrified is what in the hell is Cindy Lauper wearing? Okay. I mean, like, I don't get it. Okay. It's like there are Was she wrapped in a garbage bag or something? No, no, no. It's like there's there's hobbits living in her skirt or something. <laughs> I, I'm assuming it's not her hips, and there's just this these large bulbous things on the side. Oh, that you have to see it. You have to see it. You have to experience it. And you have to hear it. Okay. And so we're going to link it up inside the show notes again. That Cindy Lauper and Henry Rollins. Oh, I can't Singing wait to see this. "Rise Above" at the Novo in Los Angeles. Okay. Horrifically awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to see this. What do you got? What do you got, Wade? <laughs> okay, my next pick is a uh, by a group of people shooting videos called Yes Theory. Mm. Never ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. But there was a caption, and I don't remember how I came across it, but it, it was traveling to the least visited country in the world. Huh. Mike, I don't know if you're a map geek like I've grown up to be, mm-hmm. but have you ever heard of Tuvalu? That doesn't sound familiar now. No, it's T-U-V-A-L-U. A very, very, very tiny little island. There's like 11,000 people on the whole thing. It's a necklace of an island. There's there's a big big lagoon in the middle and then there's just a string of islands. And it's so narrow that at any point, wherever you are on the island, mm-hmm. you can always see both sides of the ocean, which would be kind of disconcerting. Interesting. Yeah. But here's it reminds the really- me of that island that that guy went to and, like, all the cannibals shot him and killed him, remember? Oh, yeah. 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 No, not this. This okay. is actually... If you wasn't kidding, it was definitely, like, the, the least visited places. Like, when he flew in there, one, there was only one... Sort of hotel, okay. Two, he never ran into any of the tourists. Three, he was stuck on that island for three days. There was not another plane coming back for three days. Mm. But here's one of the coolest things about it is that he immediately, after about, well, not after about a day, ran into a guy as he's walking along the island, and the guy recognized him. Now, this is an island in the middle of the South Pacific that is the least traveled place on the planet. Mm-hmm. Some guy just recognized him from his videos, was a fan from watching them on YouTube. That is a powerful, powerful statement of just how much the internet is everywhere. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of cell signal he got on this remote place. I have no idea, but I just thought that that was just, it was so cool. And it's like if you're looking for a bit of paradise where nobody else is interested in going, Tuvalu. Go check it out. It's going to take you a while to get there, but boy, you will be away from everything. Well, well, well worth checking it out. Mm. Uh, and the other Yes Theory videos as well, because the whole idea is they just come up with an idea and they go, 
okay, well, let's do that. And then they go do that and shoot the results. And they usually try and find someone to take along. Like I saw one where they had traveled to Australia and just were talking to people on the street going, hey, do you want to go to the Great Barrier Reef? And some guy was they walked up to said, yeah, I'm interested. They just took him and they went diving on the Great Barrier Reef. It's just, yeah, we've got an idea. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yes, theory. Very cool. I will definitely be looking at more of their videos. Mike? Uh, my second and last pick for this episode is more or less of an homage to yet another and final Star Wars film that comes out here in just several days. That's the final one? That's going to be the final one that's in relation to the original saga. It won't uh, be the final one. Right. We'll, we'll have movies long before you and I are uh, yeah. dead and gone. Yeah. Anyway, this one harkens back to the original Star Wars of 1977. Mm-hmm. And it's a video from a gentleman named Colin Furs. And Colin Furs has manufactured not only what I'm going to talk about today, but also a full-sized at at walker mm-hmm. which if you're a star wars fan oh, you know yeah. what that means he's also manufactured a full size tie fighter yeah um, we saw that video didn't we? we we did we've talked about him before but okay. inside of this episode he conjures for us again as a commemoration of the last coming saga based star wars film uh-huh. he has conjured a jet powered star wars land speeder based on the land speeder toy that harkens back to the original land speeder of 1977's Star Wars, driven by Luke Skywalker. That sounds like something fun, dumb, and dangerous. It is absolutely out of just craziness. <laughs> he, he has taken the toy, he shows you the yeah. toy, and the toy has been upsized out of a variety of things that he was able to purchase on eBay. Uh-huh. Takes all the things that he purchased on eBay. He manufactures a thing. He builds it on top of what I'm assuming is going to be maybe a golf cart or something. Mm-hmm. Except it's size accurate. It's mm. not. It's not. Look at the mini thing. It's not. It's size accurate. Okay. So he's sitting in it, and you go, oh "My God, look!" If that was Luke Skywalker, no, wait, does this exactly thing hover? Like it doesn't hover. But it's got it, wheels on. It, it does have wheels on. Okay. It. Right. And so he. Not only drives it, he's driving it, and he puts mirrors in front of the in front of the tire so that if you're looking from the side, it does look like it's hovering. Oh, that's cool. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. And he goes, you know, this just isn't fast enough. It's, I don't know how to make this faster, but we got to make it faster. <laughs> ah, you can buy jet engines <laughs> on eBay. And so he affixes two jet engines, one left and one right, oh my God. and affixes jet engines to the built from stuff on eBay. Jet powered land speeder from Star Wars. Oh my God! Why am it's I a, picturing Wiley Coyote? <laughs> it, it, well, I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, that's crazy, and it doesn't go crazy fast. Big boxes of Acme around them. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go crazy fast. You know, you're like, oh, so it's going now instead of going 17 miles an hour, it's going to go 300. Well, it doesn't. It, it, but it is jet powered. How jet, fast does it go? What's the top speed? I, I, I don't think they actually told you what how fast it was going, but Aww. I would guess probably. 25, 30, something. Because if it's driving 10 or 12 miles an hour via the... And they're small engines. It's not like they're taking a fighter jet engine and sticking oh, it on the side. Oh, see, I was picturing the, 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 the size. The jet engines are probably two and a half, three inches oh, in diameter. little tiny turbo fans. I've seen that. You, you get those for radio-controlled uh, planes. Yeah, more or less. Anyway, uh, we're going to link it up inside the show notes, and I want everybody to go and look at it because it's in, it's insanely infectious. It's... <laughs> Yeah. It is outrageous, but there it is, and you're going to sit and watch every single minute of the, the seven minutes and 15 seconds that are available. 
Dummy Codes is a segment idea that I came up with where I was trying to draw attention. I was trying to do two things. I was trying to draw attention to the idiots that are sometimes benign but dangerous in one way or another to our society. And I wanted to ascertain some type of a punishment or some kind of public admonishment for what it is that they were attempting to do. Today's entry absolutely is falls right into that category. My entry for the dummy code uh, today, and I wish, really, really wish I could sit down and talk with this Yahoo, is his name is Ryan Wash. He is the instructor and debate coach for uh, Weber, Univer Weber State University. Why I would like to talk to this man is because he did what he called, uh, it was supposed to be a mental exercise, but he tried to actually put something behind it. A student by the name of Michael Moreno recorded this. And what he recorded was the professor had a strange anti-white attitude in what appears to have been an unusual thought exercise. The student, Michael Moreno, says in the recording that the instructor and debate coach Ryan Walsh was arguing that science... Listen to this, Mike. Yeah, I'm was arguing that science and outer space were somehow fake and white fantasies. Our argument will be that space is not real, the instructor states in the recording while discussing a debate topic apparently intended to address the validity of the United States' collaboration with other countries in space ex exploration campus reform reports. Walsh suggests the argument can be made that space doesn't exist because it is not verifiable by his own experience because he's not been to space. Space, science, and technology is a projection of white fantasies that have worked to control our interpretation of how the world works, Wash says in the recording. Whiteness then works in an appropriate science and technology to say, this is true while this is not true, because it's not verifiable, he says. In the recording, Moreno asks Wash, if space were fake and exclusively a white idea, how would he explain the existence of black astronauts who have visited space? Wash then asks Moreno to demonstrate that blacks have been to space and claims... No one can know for sure if they have. That's what we call colonialism, Wash replies. It goes on and on and gets even more moronic than that. Here's my dummy code. You've heard of the, the, the organization Media Matters, right? It's basically a liberal watchdog for trying to catch any conservatives in anything that is nonsensical or race-based or basically anything that goes against PC code. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want there to be... A conservative or truly non-biased version that reports insanity of professors and instructors and sends a blanket email or other ways of noticing to students of all of that campus and also to the alumni and the parents of those students that are on that campus. I want these people called out regularly. I want an organization watching when someone says something so blatantly insane or race-obsessed or politically correct-obsessed or whatever. Let's get these guys constantly called out. That would be my dummy code, and I would love to be able to enforce it. Mike? I think isn't that the want of a variety of people inside the news circle that unfortunately either appear on one side or the other mm -hmm. on one of the networks? Right. Because there, there are people that do that. I, I, I think while he definitively leans right most of the time mm -hmm. jesse waters i think does an outstanding job 
of he's come a long way. He he reminds me very much of what I did for political cartooning back in the late nineties, mm. because it it's so easy to sit in the middle as a cartoonist and just absolutely cackle at things that both sides do. Yeah, it, it makes me even more curious and and inquisitive as to why a middle leaning independent candidate for mm-hmm. political office right. just simply can't get traction. Because I think if you ask most people, uh, again, to go back to the concept of the politician that I was talking about inside of this episode, right? If, if you can corral somebody and tell them both sides of something uh-huh. and then go, by the way, this political candidate from the right says blah, yeah. this political candidate from the left says blah, isn't that stupid? There's not nearly enough of that going on. Yeah. And what is going on is that whole bipolar thing where you're either on that side or you're on this side. And the entire cone of the middle where the vast majority of people live instantly gets left out because they're either they're not militant enough. Right. Or they're not pointed enough or they're not outraged enough. And that's terrible. But the problem that, is, that is terrible. But the problem is, is that the media are obsessed with. And let's be completely honest. I think most people at this point have bought into the fact that the majority of the media are left-leaning and hard left-leaning, a lot of them, and they just won't veer from their narrative. If it goes against what it is that uh, is outside of their narrative, they won't report it. They'll they'll, they'll just flat ignore it, or they'll they'll try and twist it around to meeting their narrative. And it's like, that's, that's not your position. And now, especially when it comes to teaching our young people it's like how dare you say that there's something that it goes against what you believe and so you're not going to teach it that's not your position your position is to expose all sides of an argument mm-hmm. and when you're just flat out throwing things that go well i haven't seen it so that doesn't it must not exist that's oh, yeah, this insane. Yeah, this guy's a lunatic. This guy falls clearly into what I would consider the flat earth folk. Oh, God, yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because, you know, it's not only has he not seen it, all of the pictures that he has seen, oh, well, those are conspiracies concocted by somebody putting together a variety of Photoshop pictures. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. No, they're yeah. not. It, it's because the earth is not flat. It's because it's round. Mm-hmm. That, that's instantly maddening, the the perpetual circle of fighting people with flat earth concepts is just a no-win scenario. My dummy code for this episode is based on one that I didn't have nearly enough as as a child, which was the hunting experience. Mm, yeah, My neither. dad and I and friends went hunting, but more often than not, uh, especially with my dad and I, we didn't get anything. Whether we went hunting, fishing, blah, nothing. We didn't. We didn't. We hit. We caught and hit nothing. How do you manage that kind of record? It, it's a, that's just the way it went. The, uh, the fishing one is even the most f- frustrating because I was always the one rowing to some place doing something, <laughs> and we never caught a damn thing. Uh, it. I. I never readdressed <laughs> thing, that with him, but it is. Now that he's gone, it is one of the failings of the Wilkerson clan. <laughs> if if we were born in an earlier time, we would be starving fat skeletons. <laughs> so if Jake because comes we here and wants to do we this, you're just gonna turn down. People. <laughs> we were not the fisher people, to be sure. Uh, what comes with fishing is conversation and camaraderie yeah, blast. So yeah. we had all that. That well, was fine. Good. What we didn't have was some really fresh fish being cooked <laughs> over an open fire ever. <laughs> Ever. 
I don't even from know. age you can seven your carb for God's sake. From age seven to age thirty-four, <laughs> nothing, zero. Wow. All right. Anyway, that that's okay. not where I, it's not where I wanted to go. Anyway, right, okay. My story that we're referring to with the dummy code refers to a Michigan hunter okay. who sprayed his brother's tree stand with deer repellent. <laughs> yeah. So to prevent his brother deer from repellent or attractant. Repellent, so that the deer would stay away from his stand, hence he could not what shoot a them. Yeah. Well, and again, it, uh, uh, you've just explained why this is a dummy code. It, it doesn't get any more stupid and petty than, you know what? I know my brother gets a lot out of hunting, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go spray repellent for deer around his deer stands. Mm. What? You know, it, I, again, the, the I just marvel at the time that people have to spend to not only... To not only foster their own end, but to make other people miserable. I guess I'm just a big enough jackass that I see the humor in it, but... Right, but that's not funny, dude. Uh, and You've never been hunting, I'm assuming, correct? I've been with my brothers a couple times. It was never anything that I was really into. I don't right, know, but like you, you didn't bring your own gun. No, no, no. You, you didn't prepare or buy any of your own supplies, no, correct? No, no, You just showed up and, hey, yeah, let's have I'm some beer, right? Along with, yeah. Okay, well, that's my point. Is that hunting, especially for people like this, they mm-hmm. have their own properties right. and have built. It's not just when I say the the brother's stand. It's not just a tree stand. It's a structure, mm-hmm. and so it, it you can't just go anywhere with it. Well, that <laughs> it's, is true. It's a tree stand. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying is that these people put inordinate amounts of time, effort, and care and money into these things, and for you to have such the ultra crappy relationship with your brother. That your brother feels the need to spray repellent for deer around your deer stands. I I was flabbergasted at that, and that absolutely is a dummy code for me. Okay. All right. I'll give you that one. My next pick goes to a graduate of Harvard and a professor of philosophy. Mr. Jackson Kernian sent out a tweet. And, oh, by the way, he uh, didn't have the balls to stand by it and went back and retweeted something a little bit more mild. But I'm going to read the original tweet. Mm Mm-hmm. I unironically embrace the bashing of rural Americans. They, as a group, are bad people who have made bad life decisions. Some, I assume, are good people. But this nostalgia for some imagined pastoral way of life is stupid, and we should shame people who aren't pro-city. I have never heard such jackassery in my life. It's like, you pretentious douchebag. Let me let me inform Mr. Kernian and anybody else who is listening who thinks that cities are the be all and end all of human civilization. In the long run, at the end of the day, you don't matter because the people that live in the country, the ones that fly over people that you want to laugh at, guess what? They can be self sufficient. You, on the other hand, if the trucks stop coming in inside of 36 hours, it's been proven. Those shelves will be empty, and if you don't have a little garden growing in front of uh, your house or your flower box or whatever, you're going to starve. They'll be self-sufficient on their own. I would pick living in a small town any day over living in a major city, because I do now. I live outside of St. Louis. I love being able to work in the city, but if it disappeared, I'd get by. That's my pick. Mr. Kernian, this, this again, this is a person that I would love to uh, have— I just I wish there was a way that they either had to you know make a choice. Either you're going to uh, pay a fine to uh, some charity or something for this bit of stupidity, 
or you're going to have to send out an email to everybody at that school and their parents saying exactly what it was that you did. You don't get to defend yourself. You just get to send it out. That would be my dummy code and uh, my punishment to this idiot and others like him. Guys, we would absolutely love to get your pick on uh, your person that you think involves a dummy code. And while you're at it, I would love to know what it is that you think their punishment should be. Go to wadesense.com and let us know what your pick is. Wisdom of the Ages was a segment idea that I came up with a long time ago, and my idea was that I just wanted things that have happened in the past, pearls of wisdom that have managed to stand out to be able to be looked at in modern day and modern light and see if it still holds relevant to modern men. My pearl of wisdom is this. It comes from Confucius. By three may we learn wisdom. First, by reflection which is the noblest, second, by imitation, which is the easiest, and third, by experience, which is the bitterest. That was Confucius. Mm, I like that a lot. Forgetting Lots. how impactful being bitter is, regardless of your stand, is a very interesting tack. Mm-hmm. Mike? I don't have anything nearly as soothing. So I'm going to use this one from Aguo David Emeniki. The sage's wish... Like sun from the east, may you continue to rise, smile, and shine. Yeah, I like that. I do too. The quick-hitting ones that allow you to then eventually be, to sit and stew and think about things. I dig those a lot, and that's, that's definitively one. Guys, as always, we have had such a blast recording this, and we hope you've had as much fun listening. I have one final thought to end with, and that is this. You can either make excuses or you can have results, but you cannot have both. My name is Wade B. Olson, and this has been Wade Sense. talked about this you know sometimes i run my solutions by my passengers and i picked up this lady who was it was, was it the passenger that was a heroin addict or no she wasn't a heroin addict okay no this was a late this is this is a young lady who was a uh homeless middle person. no she, would you let me finish panhandler <laughs> no teacher a hobo she, no she was a teacher was she hoboing no she wasn't hoboing okay. she was a teacher would you just give me a break please <laughs>